Welcome back to RocketPod. On today's episode, we're joined by Richard Clark, the founder of Smash Drinks. Smash Drinks is a fast-emerging consumer brand in the NOLO category. They have a wonderful range of non-alcoholic beers and ciders, and really, the product does taste excellent. And uh, yeah, we're really excited to take a deep dive into Richard's entrepreneurial journey and what it takes to build a consumer brand from scratch. Um, that is no mean feat. So yeah, we're really excited to get stuck in. Rich, yeah, thank you so much for joining. I'm very excited to sort of delve into your sort of story a little bit because I'm sort of in the similar alcohol and heading towards a no and no alcohol space as well, but in cocktails. I'm very excited to sort of hear a bit more about everything you've done. Um, but just to give a bit of a background about Rocket Pods. So originally there were, there were three of us. Producer has had to head off on to do a different direction, but it's basically a podcast where it sort of was three, now two generations of entrepreneurs that have sort of come together to sort of have conversations with people from all different industries, professions, to sort of understand really how they've taken an idea and created something amazing out of it. So it's been sort of Olympians, like Sally Gunn, all that sort of thing, to, to business entrepreneurs, to sort of the founders of like Photobox, Graham Hobson, and that sort of thing um, and just sort of different people from all different industries just to really have a sort of a casual chat and just to really delve into how they've done it we're now on season so this is sort of start of season three so we just want to get sort of about six to eight recordings under our belt and then we're going to start re-releasing uh, releasing them to, to sort of all of our listeners so that's sort of a bit about rocket pod about quickly about myself so, so my name's harry i'm 22 and as well do sort of the entrepreneurial route i started business when i was 15 doing a little sweet cart for our weddings and events i built with my grandpa and his guy over summer holiday just for a bit of fun and then uh, started serving at events and weddings that for, for a few years and then alongside college education left there did an apprenticeship um, in digital marketing left that and then headed towards the cocktail space um, which was sort of mobile bars for events then lockdown hit as we all know which meant that all the events hospitality everything that we were doing came to a complete stop which was fun so decided to pivot towards bringing the cocktail experience to people at home um, through a range of sort of DIY home cocktail kits, which have everything you need to sort of make your own cocktails at home. Um, and that's sort of where we're at today. Um, we're, we're doing the sort of the cocktail kits. We're looking at the known alcohol market space. We've got some new cocktails developing. So super excited to sort of have you on. Um, I love the branding of the um, sort of the, the idea behind it. So, yeah, I've got a uh, looking forward to just hearing all about it. So that's me. I'll pass you over uh- to James now. You know, you said that very eloquently. Yeah, Harry's a real smooth talker and yeah, excellent delivery. He is. He is for 22. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. And actually, yeah, so as Harry said, we're really interested in being the visionaries. And these are folks that can take an idea and then actually forge that idea into reality. I think in season three, we're, we're actually shifting a little bit uh, towards D2C, emerging D2C brands, only because it's more aligned with what Harry's doing with Cocktail Connoisseurs, but also, you know, Flexi's developing the um, this subscription marketplace. But really, you know, we're, we're fascinated about your, your journey. So I, so just really quickly on me, spent most of my career in the US and came back to the UK about eight years ago. I've been working in the fintech space and then recently Flexi was born kind of two years into the Flexi journey, you know, uh, raised angel investment, that type of thing. And, and we're looking to now scale the business and actually attracting buyers. Now we've got about 162 brands. Um, but RocketPod is a separate business and it's really, uh, we do this for fun. We get to expand our social network and meet cool people like you. Um, so this might I be hope, good. I, I hope you keep me on your social network after today. Yeah, oh, fantastic. <laughs> So I think it's probably a good segue. So Richard, welcome to RocketPod. Uh, so Richard Clark is the founder of Smash Drinks or Drinks Unlimited and has a, an amazing range of non-alcoholic beers and ciders. And we really would like to delve into Richard's journey. I noticed that you have a quite a solid background in marketing. But really, before we kind of get into the business side, it'd be really interesting 
if you can explain a little bit about your childhood, kind of where you came from. So yeah, yeah where did Richard come from? And, uh, and then we can kind of fast forward to today and kind of start, um, if, if we can just hear about your journey and how you arrived to found Smash Drinks. Or Drinks Unlimited, sorry. Okay, I'll keep this as interesting as I can and as, as brief as I can. Um, thank you for having me on, uh, on Rocket Pod. I really am pleased to share some time with you. I, I guess my uh, early years were hard, some of my time spent in Spain and then moved to the UK. Edu- I moved around a lot because of my parents. And uh, to say that they were commercial, commercial people would be an understatement. Okay. My mother mother taught uh, law, and my stepfather taught life. He was a it was a retailer. He was a retailer at heart. British home stores when they were alive as a brand, and then he had a chain of twelve news agents, <laughs> and uh, that's why I, I learned the, the the art of pocket money. Where we spoke <laughs> about what was my first job. My first job was delivering papers and etc learning the art of trying to avoid the wealthy areas that had the Sunday times delivered on a Sunday because they were the ones who used to tie you down and take longer to deliver oh, really your back so you always try to go for the Sunday mirror readers not the Sunday times readers <laughs> um, the, uh, education came along and uh, newspaper deliveries took a back seat various ed- uh, various places of education throughout the uh, the country just to say that the commercial world's always been in my blood in terms of always being there because of my stepfather, I think. Uh, and it, and it, it followed me throughout. I ended up at, uh, after uh, disastrous O levels and A levels, uh, I ended up at very fortunately at uh, what's called Nottingham University, Trent Polytechnic Business School. And I was in the first year that, uh, of that course, which was business studies with marketing and Spanish. That being helpful for me because of my background. Um, so it was all very, uh, very fortunate that despite my O-levels and A-levels, I ended up at Trent Polytechnic where the, the lectures were absolutely superb. The course was brilliant and I had three six-month placements uh, and was inundated with offers. I was very lucky. Don't know why me. I was lucky. I was offered some great six-month placements. Uh, so six months placements come back uh, with quite a bit of money in my pocket and a company car. And uh, so when I was age 20, I had a white escort that was 1.6 petrol. Nice one. Uh, and uh, everyone thought I was a, a flashy salesman. I was just doing a placement. Um, thoroughly enjoyed those t- the time at Nottingham Trample and Technic. Learned an awful lot uh, about the art of answering questions and um, how not to answer questions. And that was the bit, probably the biggest thing I learned in terms of uh, my education uh, of, on a th- theoretical side. Um, in terms of, I then, through my career, without going through all my jobs, drinks has been, has been the central fulcrum of my career, drinks. Soft drinks, alcohol, are more likely alcohol-free. Soft drinks was with Bricks and Brick Pepsi. Um, got involved with, led a project for Pepsi Max coming into the UK right at the start. I was very lucky, very lucky in terms of that job. Um, I then uh, got involved with, um, with uh, Bass Brewers, now called Molson Cause. I was able to launch brands called Reef and got involved with Caffrey's as a new product. Um, so I, I've always been involved, not necessarily in the theoretical side of marketing planning, 
but you would call it entrepreneurial marketing, launching products. Um, I, I then moved on to Hailwood International, uh, where I was very lucky to come across my mentor uh, called John Hailwood. And I think John Hailwood at Hailwood International, who was the owner uh, and my mentor, and Mark Hunter from Molson Cause were the two people I learned most from in my, in, in my career um, in terms of the ability to listen to other people, um, the ability to, and I have this ability, and it's lucky that I have this ability, is to know when people have better skills than me. So, mm. And almost like form of de defense around my weaknesses. So know when to bring in people that know more than you do, harness their strengths, work with them, get to understand how they tick, and then how they can tick and work with other people. And that's, um, I, I learned that from Mark Hunter and John Howard in terms of um, the ability to get people to work together. Some people might say that I make people work too hard. Some people will say I've been very lucky with the people I've had around me. Both are true. Both are absolutely true. I've been very blessed with the people around me. Um, so in terms of uh, Molson Calls Bass and Hailwood, working in teams has been at the heart of everything I've done in marketing. Um, so not a classical marketeer. I've always wanted to be a clever, classical planning marketeer, but I, I ended up just because of my personality in terms of the entrepreneurial side. And a phrase that comes to mind is, why bother? Why bother getting up in the morning? And we'll come on to uh, drinks and everything smash shortly. But those early um, or earlier years of working in teams, thinking about what difference I can make to a business, and I hope bringing something to the table, both from a personal perspective and actually a physical perspective. Um, always try to, always try to add value in other people's days. So if they went away thinking they contributed, I felt great. I felt, uh, as opposed to what physically do they give me? How do they feel at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the project? Do they feel like they've been contributed? So lots of projects, lots of new products, um, and that's formed itself. So in 2000 and, where are we? 2016 uh, was quite poorly, and... People are going to say, this isn't true. You made this up for a book you're going to write down the track. It's the truth. I was very, very poorly. And I said to my brother, I need to start my own business. And it is true. There was a, a, just a, a thing came to my head before I went into the operating theater that said, what do you drink when you can't drink? And it's absolutely the case of the truth. What do you drink when you can't drink? And it just came into my head and it stuck with me. And I said to my brother, before I went into the operating theatre, what I need to do my own, run my own business. I need to do this before it's too late. And if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. Uh, and I think I want to learn from the things I've learned from uh, Mark Hunter and more likely John Held. And that's when it happened. I came out and I could, I could write a book on the next four years. since I just knew it. It, just knew. It, yeah, and it, I didn't realise how hard it was going to be, but it got harder and harder. But it, I just had to do it. As I went back to my previous point, which was learning about 
how to get the best out of people. Surround yourself with people who have more skills than you do. Understand what skills you need to, to launch a company and a brand. And I've been, I have been blessed. And I will name them now uh, and have hopefully a degree of humility when I say John Thornton sat down with me for four hours in a coffee bar in Bury when I came out the first day out, out of hospital. And uh, he sat down for a chat and he, re- he went away with 10 screens of paper that became the business plan. And it's the truth. And yet, you can ask John yourself. Uh, he probably regrets it ever since. I'm out of work. <laughs> <laughs> with me. But that was so John Thornton, I have to mention right at the start. Les Norton is the liquid genius that I met. I knew of at Molson Course. Um, and I worked with him at Hailwood International. He was everything behind Kravis Ginger Beer, behind Red Square Vodka, really behind Whitney Neal Gin that you see today. Mm-hmm. It was all Les Norton. 20 odd years of he knows not just about business, but processes, detail, legislation. But then the, the art of putting liquids together, whether alcoholic or soft drink. Um, so Les has, came with me. Um, he's a shareholder. So he's John. Um, and without Les, there will be no smashed. Um, then Alex Kennedy on the creative side. Um, and in, also involved was Paul Alexander from the Fun Agency. So a number of people have been involved. Um, and I've tried to surround myself with, with people that I believe could help me and help the rest of the team deliver. More laterally, Steve Ferris um, uh, from the sales, international sales side, he's helped me get into America and to Canada. And we're already in the UAE spinnies, um, Dubai. Um, and Paul Newman, ex Living Ventures, he's helped me in the UK now, certainly. So surrounding myself with the right people, it's taken three years. To, to pull together, um, we have a platform now. Um, so hopefully I've uh, summarized w- um, where I am now uh, with a brand called Smashed under the company Drinks Unlimited, all in the Northwest with its own manufacturing supply chain. Les helped me create the first top-down beer lager and cider brand in the world. Um, I don't want to bore everybody who's listening now. If there is anybody listening, they might fall asleep. But it starts life as real beer, real cider, real lager at circa 5.2%. Then we take the alcohol out using a cool vacuum distill. And we end up with a 0.05 or alcohol-free product. We have five liquids and they all go through the same process. They start life as real beer, a unique recipe we created, real cider, real lager. And then we take the alcohol out as gently as we can through a vacuum. Um, that was a lot of investment, but that was the point of time where I had to put um, my money where my mouth was in terms of, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Why bother? Do something that's real, genuine, and different. Uh, so the brand Smash was developed with some great product protocol process that's in place at Robinson's Brewery. Um, and then on the marketing side, the genius of Les helped me understand how to avoid the legislation controls that are out there. We've done our first TV campaign, which is fantastic with the sport of ITV and Barclays in terms of, it's called Get Smashed Anytime. Love it. But it, 
but it's, it's, it's made with real beer, real lager, real cider. So Clearcast, the authorities who are our, our policemen, not the Portman Group, because we're less than 0.05, it's Clearcast and Trading Standards, um, said you can't do that. And then we explained to them why we started three or four years ago, which is all about breaking breaking down these, these barriers. Alcohol cannot be marketed in a, a beneficial way. You can't say drinking alcohol can do this. Drinking alcohol can do that. You can't do that because of what, and quite rightly so. But Smash doesn't operate in that sphere. It operates under Clearcast. Uh, and we've got Get Smashed Anytime, which is an oxymoron yeah. uh, in itself, but it's made with real beer. So we've got a line that says Get Smashed Anytime. We've, um, we've got four occasions where people are drinking the product. That's not allowed in an advert. And then we have the, the strap line, which is real beer, real taste, real alcohol free. And those, that was everything that Les and I spent days on working with the South End Inland Tax Revenue Company about how to formulate the very essence of the product. Right. Uh, and it was four years of hard work to where we've got to. But now comes the real hard work because now it's about convincing consumers that whilst we, we've been bothering getting up in the morning and creating these products for four years and trademarks, and packaging and stories that it, they actually want it so that this is the, the next stage if you like well that's really well thank you so much for for explaining your kind of your journey so far so there's a couple of themes that i just took a mental note of and i'm sure harry did as well so the pepsi max and the caffrey's early on these were kind of they, these were kind of very fresh um products and i know you mentioned earlier that you weren't the the traditional marketeer you kind of you were very comfortable um, with new kind of new exciting ideas and, and products, and of course, Capri's. I remember the, that that product years ago, and Pepsi Max. You know, they they were kind of really big for that 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 day. Also, you talked about luck quite a lot. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, um, whether you believe in luck, because you you mentioned that about five, four or five times. And then I'd be very interested to know if you could pin down one key piece of advice that John Hellwood gave you um, that was pivotal and also Mark Hunter, uh, if we could distill, you know, I know there's two mentors you had there. So, and I think the other piece is, you know, you would talk about surrounding yourself with people that have the skills that you don't. Well, I think it's really the attitude, for, well, just from listening to you, it's really the attitude you have for these team members, uh, for, for other human beings. You know, if you have, if, if you're kind of focused on, on helping them grow, um, rather than what's in it for you, you mentioned that that because there's, there's I guess in my in my view there's, there's almost like two two ways you can manage a partnership or a relationship. It's either transactional, whether it's what's in it for me, and okay that works, but it's kind of short term. But then if you really invest in people and celebrate those people, then you know you're going to actually you know create something much bigger than yourself. So I just wanted to kind of voice some of those observations. Harry, did you have anything before uh, Richard can kind of answer those? And there's there's a huge amount of points. I don't want to bombard Richard with with loads of points just yet. But I mean, there's some great things that I noticed. And actually, fine enough, we've just signed up with Howard International for one of our suppliers, so that's brilliant. And you mentioned all those brands, JJ Whitley and Whitney Neal, and all those ones that we're considering looking at. Um, but I love a couple of points like uh, form of defence around your weaknesses, and that's brilliant. You can leverage like if 
your your specialty area is marketing then like you say have the best salespeople around you and let them do the sales and like with us we've got a guy that just does all the cocktail development because he's done that for 12 15 years similar to your chap that's done all of the developments with the liquid side but i'd like uh, you've got a lot of questions there from james so i'd say kick off with those and then i've got loads that i'd love to sort of explore a bit further down with you in a sec so um uh, first caffrey's it was all about mouthfeel mouthfeel was key um because it wasn't if you remember way back if you can remember lots of product alcohol products were flat flat mouthfeel context to what you're drinking mouthfeel with the head really 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 important and this idea that guinness uh, had a monopoly on that mm. but that people either loved guinness or didn't and cafes came along and had this uh, crossover between an ale and a cafes and, sorry, and a Guinness. Um, and it, it had with it not just the product protocol and uh, his DNA of being great mouthfeel, great feel, but Irishness. And, and it's come from somewhere. It had a, its own DNA and brand ethics that was separate from Guinness. That's why it stood, it stood up as a point of difference. Okay, interesting. Um, in terms of Pepsi Max, uh, I was lucky. Very, very lucky, uh, but it was it was it was flipping obvious, really, that when uh, when, when out in uh, New York, seeing the black community, they loved the blue can, but they wanted something for them, and they didn't want to shout about it being uh, low in calories. You don't you don't talk about it as a bloke. I want it low in calories. Just give me something that's low in calories and tastes like the, the full the full fat, and that's what Pepsi Max does: full fat. And it's actually better for you. It doesn't have all the sugar in. Um, and, and then it, it was all about the marketing then. Just a point of difference. It was the blue can, not the red can. Uh, and without getting into the politics of America of red versus blue, I, it's very, very straightforward why it worked, where it worked uh, in the early 90s. Um, I, my piece for adding in was stealing with glee the Pepsi Max launch. So lucky. There was a luck, piece of luck. But I, my idea was about upsizing, which was the way at that time retailers serve soft drinks. Because I liked, I love, I like it. I like alcohol. I won't share my brands with you. It would do the brand value very good if I did. But I like soft drinks too. Um, and the way it was served, it was seen as second-class product. It wasn't carbonated properly. It uh, wasn't. It was sometimes not cold. It was sometimes on draft, oversugared. Because the um, the very manual nature of the carbonation of sugar added when it was draft, so it wasn't just Pepsi Max the brand I, I brought in with support of Britvic at that time, and the structure of Britvic was the Britvic 2000 dispense unit, the first automated dispense unit. I was involved with that and spent two weekends responding to uh, TGIs, where the managing director wrote to me and said, "You're the national account manager of marketing." guy for this brand with me and I'm, I'm out of I'm out of stock my product's not working I've lost three and a half thousand pound in a week because you, you can't sell your draft and it became very clear it was an obvious opportunity the problem of uh, consistent high quality draft soft drinks combine that with different size servings and a great brand in Pepsi Max I was lucky I just got three or four pieces of ammunition put them all together and uh, that's why we ended up with um, the Britvic dispense unit, which was head of Coke at the time. 
it was head of coke at the time with a 24 7 dispense service which meant retailers were never without um so i think you asked about pepsi and uh, and and Caffrey's. they were fun times as well as clearly the time of when uh, Rage and Celtic were at each other's throats on the, in the football, really were. And the derbies were the real derbies, as good as Liverpool, Everton, Man United, Man City. So, Seven Up, I was involved with Seven Up sponsoring Celtic, the Green, and Pepsi sponsoring Rangers. So, I was often going to games involved with the, the football games of Rangers and Celtic in Scotland. In terms of what did I learn most from Mark Hunter? Yeah. Ron Seal, does what it says on the tin. Don't overcomplicate it. Do your thinking. Internalise your thinking. But don't share all your thinking with lots of words uh, and clever essays. Kernelise all your deep thinking into one or two lines. So I remember having a, a breakfast meeting at eight o'clock. And we used to have these sessions early on in the morning. Um, and it was almost like, um, so what's the brand proposition? What's the brand essence of Reef? Reef was the one that we brought out after Hooch at Nelson Course. What's, what does it stand for? What do you want it to stand for? If you're briefing an agency, briefing a retailer, briefing a salesman, what does it stand for? Why bother? And is that simple? Um, Mark used to make marketing simple when communicating it to other people. He said it's actually a simple thing. That's hard though, isn't it? Hard, simple is hard. Making simple it simple, is... making it simple is, is hard, but you do the internalized debate yourself. And you do your SWOT analysis and all yeah, your yeah. analysis about the competitor. Where's the market gap? Why is there a market gap? Is there a, is there a gap? How big is the gap? How long is it going to last? How do you feel the gap? All, all those things, and then come back with your brand DNA. Simple and stupid is effective yeah. uh, and Ron Seal was that piece in terms of just what it said on the tin. Yeah. So do you think there's a correlation between simple and luck? Because I'm still curious to know why you, I mean, do you fundamentally believe in luck? Is there a correlation between simple and keeping it simple I, I and luck? I think the harder, harder you work, the luckier you get. I absolutely believe in that phrase because if, if, you, if you set yourself eight or nine priorities rather than one or two and you get seven, better than setting yourself one and getting one because you've achieved six other things. And as long as you realize why you haven't got all, all the priorities achieved and you have a, a, a safety net to, to resolve the other two or three unresolved pieces and, and, and there's, no, there's no collateral to the team around you, I think you create your own luck. Um, but but I, I do think the harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah. Um, um, I, I do believe in that. And to the... So, Mark Hunter was about make things simple, but do your internalized planning yourself. But but then have that and then have a plan. What's the one line for the cramp proposition? What's the DNA of, of, of it? And that leads on to John Halewood, which was all about the phrase, why bother? So when I joined Halewood, it was all about, Richard, you know a lot about advertising, TV advertising. Clearly I didn't because yeah, I, mean, I had experts around me who did it. They did the storyboards. I just had to make sure that it was on track with what the advertising was supposed to be. The agencies were the clever people. Um, so I joined Halewood as a relatively small company, and they thought I was this big advertising guru. What John really wanted was, yes, do that, 
but you're worth more to me by great wealth, create wealth for me. Marketing needs to create wealth, not spend my money. Invest, but know what your return is. Invest, but know what your return is. So John was about, you can have my money, my personal money, but make sure it's invested wisely and know where, and know you've got controls on it at every stage. So why bother came into play with Crabbage and Jabir? So my first piece of NPD, so he said, no more advertising now. That's it now for, for 12 months. We didn't advertise any brand. He wanted NPD. He wanted to grow the business um, uh, organic, uh, not organically, but by new products. And I stole this idea from, a, from the shop floor. I uh, had a um, three o'clock in the morning research with some production people in Hayward in Liverpool. And we had this idea for retro drinks, great tasting, genuine retro drinks. And out of that session came ginger beer, dandelion and burdock, cloudy lemonade. And it, it happened in a time with John in his, in his kitchen one Sunday morning. We we're thinking about the brand and what ginger beer could be. We all liked the idea of it. We landed on crabby ginger beer. Why? Because when you make crabby ginger wine, you actually crush the ginger. The ginger is crushed. The ginger is from India. Crab is 1804. It's got its brand own ethics and story from 200 years ago. It's got the process of how you do it. We just change the end piece from being a liqueur into a carbonated 5% drink. So you follow the same process with the, the Smashed brand. I mean, it, it's you, you really highlighted the importance to kind of really understand the brand and then the product. And then what the consumer wants. Um, each, keep, each it simple, keep it simple and why bother? Why are you bothering with it? Why are you? Um, and then knowing, yeah. So feature the benefits are everything to me because I'm really a salesman at heart. People say that I'm more a salesman than a marketeer. I'm probably, um, I've hidden away because I'm not a really good salesman. So I've gone in the, <laughs> the back office to be a marketeer because there's better sales <laughs> around than me. And that's probably very, very true. If you speak to people from my past, I couldn't sell, I couldn't sell very well. Um, but I knew what they wanted, which was features and benefits. So Krabby's had three or four. Smash has got more features and benefits than any brand I've been involved with because um, it's almost like a culmination of the things I've learned from uh, and have been blessed with the people around me and my and my, uh, and my mentors and tutors. Um, so um, what do you drink when you can't drink? That was actually a Diageo trademark. So that was my first disappointment. John said, $2 million, you can have that. You can buy it off Diageo. <laughs> We've already got that in America. So we came up with uh, a, a, a line in, in a coffee bar in, uh, in the outskirts of Man near Saddleworth, actually on a wet Friday afternoon. And uh, Rethinking Drinking is our trademark. So Rethinking Drinking became our trademark, which came out of what do you drink when you can't drink? And I, I'm sure there's a, there's a long-term benefit in having that trademark. So I, mm -hmm. I do think there are links between socializing having fun health and the more serious matters of mental health as well as well as physical health and rethinking drinking has a role to play there without solving the problem is is part of that communication I, I believe in the future so rethinking drinking became under drinks unlimited and the brand smash became from the ron seal phrase just was it says on the tin and i wanted to create something that was memorable. I don't have the money 
of the uh, Heineken and um, Guinness uh, Gordon's Gin Zero. The name needs to be memorable without the investment. Um, and then playing on the, the excellent conversation we had with the Inland Revenue South End office with Les, we wanted it to, to relate to the product. So the idea that we'd have a name that you couldn't have if you were with the Portman Group, that was a benefit. So Smashed as a brand could never be launched by any alcohol brand or anybody that's got a brand over 0.05. Never. So, so that, that was three years and that was three years ago. Uh, and we've been lucky that we've survived so far to be able to stay in the game, stay in the game, which is there'll be seven or eight brands left in the category. We've got to stay in the game and give a point of difference. We believe our points of difference are top-down real beer, real cider, real lager, independent mm -hmm. is important. The fact that we don't have any alcohol brands is also important. The fact we have a range is also important. Yep. The fact we have a personality because we can, because it's not in the Portman group. It's tying all those things together. You think about the features and benefits there. It's all about making it, giving a reason, giving a reason why the retailer wouldn't take it wouldn't give it a try while the salesman wouldn't want to get off the, the backside get out of the car get in with their box of tricks and go and sell it give them give them a reason why they can't, they can't it's a really clever yeah it's a wonderful strategy it's very holistic because yeah. even the legislation and knowing what you're you know what the alcohol brands can and can't do having you know something a, a really powerful brand people a brand that people can relate to um having a reason like this why bother thing well what do you drink if you can't drink or, you know, and then, and then you've got the amazing people that you've surrounded yourself with, but that only really comes from transfer, in my opinion, transformational leadership. You know, um, I, I think oh, you so are, you come sell. across as, <laughs> well. answer, <laughs> okay, no, but it's just your attitude. It's a, it's a mindset towards people though. It's that attitude. And I think that really has, you know, clearly the folks that you've surrounded yourself with, um, you know, want to come on along for the ride and work hard. Um, but I think um, you've covered all the bases. And, and I guess being in the trenches, you learn your trade. Um, and the fact that you've kind of stuck with one vertical or what, you know, drinks you said is your thing. Um, and you found a clever way to keep it simple. But it's really not simple. It's very hard to do what you've done. I'd like to take a moment uh, to introduce you to our amazing sponsor, Flexi. These days, we have multiple subscriptions from streaming services to gift boxes and much more. Discover Flexi's unique subscription marketplace sourced from independent British brands, from organic beauty products, cocktail kits, and responsibly sourced coffee to plant-based meals, gift boxes, and much more. Whatever your passion, look forward to a regular box of joy delivered straight to your door. All easy to pause, cancel, or resume in a tap or two from one single dashboard. So give Flexi a try. It's free to download from the App Store or head over to www.flexiapp.uk. That's F-L-E-X-Y-A-P-P.uk. Now, back to our guest. Um, Harry, you, you had some questions, didn't you, for, um, for Richard? Yeah. I mean, I think what is, is interesting is the one thing with the, with the known alcohol market is, it's as you, you know, it's so difficult to sort of replicate that experience of alcohol and i think it's brilliant how you guys have taken the end product of alcohol and basically just reverse engineered it to create yours and i think 
one thing is sort of, and I think like you say, with having who are those going to be seven that are going to be the stronger ones at the end with, you've got the combination of the, the brilliant brand identity that the flavor you've got, like you said, the mouthfeel, all of those different things. Cause something that most people currently associate with non-alcoholic is a, a Pepsi or a Coke or a, a juice or maybe a mocktail. That's a couple of fruit juices, with a bit of grenadine in the bottom to sort of, and that's all they have. And they want to have an experience that is makes them feel like they're joining in. It looks like a beer. It's got an amazing brand and name and tastes pretty much like a beer, but you're not having that effect, which it also is the, 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 the mental health effect, which I think is something that is a real big focus with this no and low alcohol trend. Um, so I guess uh, first quick question is sort of in terms of the no and low alcohol market, where, where's it going? What's the opportunity there? And then really, I'd love to know sort of how did you create that first MVP bottle of beer to sort of kit to now having the big bottom line? Because for, for some of the younger listeners, they may have an idea that and they, they don't know how to create that first small product to then get maybe a little bit of funding or invest in savings and then take it to sort of a scalable level where it's shop ready for sort of waitress, Sainsbury's, that sort of thing. Um, so there's a couple of questions that I'd love to sort of yeah, hear your thoughts on. So the no low market is really interesting from that point of view. Of it. I think it's had lots of false starts and whether that's societal hurdles, economic hurdles. Um, I believe the consumer is ready now, is ready to listen to the options out there. Um, they're ready to listen. I think the pandemic has helped or will help the NOLO market. People will want to have fun because they've missed out on fun for two years, but they'll also have this balance of having a watchful eye on that, on their health. Um, so I, I think the pandemic, there's two parts to play there. Um, I've just um, Radio 4 this morning was saying after every health pandemic, there's been a, a massive social phenomena. Swinging 60s, um, after the war, etc. So, and there's, there's, uh, the roaring 20s, there's always, there's always like people who want to break out of it. And there'll be a social, the, the, f- lots of fun this summer, this year. People want to break out, but I do think there'll be a mind, a mind and watchful eye to the health part. Consumers are ready, ready for change, and at the same time, they're being ready for change. There are brands out there supported. I have no envy whatsoever that Guinness 0.0 and Heineken 0.0, which are both excellent products, they're both excellent products. And that might surprise people here that hear me say this, but they're both the great pillar brands to have to form the structure of the category. Mm-hmm. Equally, Gordon's Gin Zero is an excellent product. It helps position. It's a pillar brand, a beacon. And I'm delighted they're there because the consumers will be attracted. I hope by Smashed and by Lucky Saint and by Big Drop. But it's those three big, big pillar brands form the structure. So the consumer's ready, the market is ready, and now it's about the brand owners being courageous, including ourselves, continuing to develop, continuing to listen, continuing to communicate, and grow the category, grow the number of occasions. It's not just based on supermarket shelves and on pubs, fridges. The no-low market is more than that. And our TV advert, I hope, demonstrates that. 
I think airlines, hotels, coffee bars, leisure centres are where it's going to be at, as well as the supermarket at home and the pubs. So the Nolo market will grow and it will be sustainable this time because the consumer's ready. They will try. They want to be, they want to believe and the brand owners are ready now to deliver what the consumers are looking for. Yeah, it's yeah, I think you're you're coming about the consumers being ready. So I've been teetotal for nine years this February. So I'm kind of your perfect customer. Um, and actually selfishly, that's why I wanted smash drinks on the Flexi platform because I love your product. Oh, right, okay. Um, and I've been drinking it for several months and I don't know I mentioned it to you yesterday, but I, I didn't actually realise that it was this product I really liked, but I couldn't remember what it was called. And then chatting to Paul Newman um, oh, and then getting your list on Flexi, uh, we realized that actually it was it was a product that I, I really loved. So <laughs> what I can say for those consumers out there that or listeners that might be on the fence, I can tell you that having not drunk for nine years, sleep, improve, improve sleep. Uh, I, I was never really heavy drinker, but I drank every every week, you know, probably a, three or four times a week. I'd have a drink or two, but and I, I get more done. So I think there's lots of benefits. And I think consumers are becoming a bit more mindful about where, maybe where they spend their money. As you'd mentioned, the pandemic, you know, people are a bit more health, health conscious. I think lockdown, a lot of folks have actually hit the gym a bit more. Maybe had a bit more exercise, got their 10,000 steps in. And yeah, and what's the next step? And actually, you know, you don't have to not drink. You don't have to be that crazy. Uh, but, uh, but by introducing some non-alcoholic options, or drinking less alcohol is, is only giving me a good thing. Uh, yeah. But I think the world is changing a bit. And um, yeah. I think your comment about brands like yourselves being uh, courageous um, and then knowing that these pillar brands are actually in play. So you've got that foundation. Um, and then you also made, you made a comment about that selection. So I know Smash Drinks have a, you know, a lovely range of cider but, and, and you've got the non-alcoholic beer and the citrus um, product as well. So actually you do have a choice um, and I've tested it. So I have a, a friend of mine actually was a, it's a reforming alcoholic. Uh, in fact, he's, <laughs> oh, well, he's, um, well, he's, he, uh, well, he's an ex-alcoholic, but he said that your cider is literally as good as the real thing. I haven't got his voicemail on me, but I, I sent it to Paul. It's brilliant. So yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll find out his latest <laughs> WhatsApp to me. I'll mention Club Soda in a minute because Laura Willoughby's done some great work within the last five years and it's her time now. But interesting about the cider is we sampled at Spittyfields in Manchester. Fantastic location. And people, if, if there were half a dozen, there were a dozen people out of the 350 people we sampled on the one day. That's a lot for a January. Yeah. 350 people sampled. Proper sampling. And they all took a can away because they could do, because it's 0.05, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, lovely, yeah. Lovely. Um, so this is going to be apple juice, isn't it? Um, there's going to be you know, there's going to be on our social feed a guy. I, could, I wish I could remember his name now. He had his shorts on. He was a walker. He'd been to get his new walking boots. And he went, it's just apple juice, isn't it? I said, will you come and try it? And if you'd like it, will you do a, a piece to camera? And he went, yeah, if I like it. I don't think I will. And he tried and he went, that's like the real thing. I said, because it is the real thing. It is cider. There's no added sugar in there. And he did a piece to camera. And uh, he'll be doing a piece on, on our social feed. Because cider, it is real cider. It is real lager. And you can't replicate the DNA and mouthfeel of real alcohol yep. by doing bottom-up. You can't do it. It's not technically possible. Um, so in terms of um, the category, I, I think it's, it's the right time now. I really do. Your other question from five minutes ago... 
Can, can you remind me what that was? Sorry. Yeah, of course. That's no problem at all. Um, I think firstly, just on that quickly, the pillar brand, I think that's that's an amazing point there because like again, you Sipsmith have now got their zero and you've got all these other brands that are creating that market space for you because people will say, oh, I've tried that. Oh, what's that? That in, um, And actually will realize that, I mean, and the top down model is, is brilliant. And also it's a bit like sort of the electric world. Like now we need to, people are thinking we need to sort of head to that electric world because it's, it's going to happen for one, but also it's thinking about the benefits from the environment and people will head towards that. And if people think health benefits and the weekday, instead of going for the gin or instead of going for the, for the normal beer, you can have the experience without having that headache in the morning or that negative health effects. I think that's, that's a brilliant. Um, so back to the question, it was basically, how did you get to that first MVP product? Um, so for those listeners out there that maybe want to develop their first little product, but they don't know how, how did you get from there? And then a quick sort of, how did you then get to sort of scaling up to sort of then the bigger levels where you're looking at Sainsbury's and the bottom line, all those sort of bits and bobs? So without doing a piece on how to be an <laughs> entrepreneur, I would never do that. Um, but I, I, I might say you're better placed if you've lived it yourself. If you've lived it as a consumer, then great. If you've been one of the team and had your sleeves and rolled them up and, and actually been part of the team to do it, that helps too. Do you know your category? Rather, you like the category. Do you really know it? Uh, do you know the economic, um, as as well as the consumer piece, the economic and the commercial sides of the piece? Where might the competitors be? Why is it not done before? You have to delve into those as well as, I'd like to be an entrepreneur. I'd like to be an entrepreneur in this category. Why? Why do you want to be an entrepreneur in that category? What are you going to bring that's different? And do you know the, the decision tree, should it not work out the first time? Don't go blind in and go, oh, I'd like to discuss, I like the idea of doing it. That's not the idea of being an entrepreneur for me. It's a little bit more formative than that, I think. That doesn't mean you're not creative. It doesn't mean you don't take risks. But you know what, what, what the next stage is. So for us, Les and I, particularly Les and I, it was three years, some nights, we slept on beanbags in Brewers, where we, we tried things out. So we tried different breweries, different techniques. It didn't give us what we wanted. We don't need to name the name of the brewers. We, it wasn't what we were looking for. And then Les stumbled across a company called Alpha Laval. Uh, you can make gravy from the machine. It takes, and Alpha Laval had a cool vacuum distill. So they do lots of things with this cool vacuum distill. Because Les knew the, the very rudiments of how you do things, we thought it was an opportunity. Mm. So, so it, it was, it's more than just the excitement of being an entrepreneur. Have people around you that do the accounts, know the numbers, bore you, but be bored, necessarily be bored. Have somebody who's a chemist on the product that knows the DNA and the makeup of what you can and cannot do. Not just I've got this idea for doing this. It's what's the meat behind the bones? What's the real, the real thinking about the business? Because if you are successful, crikey, it better be profitable. It better be doable. It better be scalable. It better be a point of difference for a long time. Otherwise, you'll get caught up and swallowed up by a big company. Otherwise, why so, bother? <laughs> you know, why bother? There's <laughs> so, a number of things here, which is we, one morning in, in a, an engineering office, and everyone's talking baloney to me in Widness and all places before the Widness Bridge was built. It took me half an hour to, to find the, uh, the, the office and I was in the right postcode. It was back of an industrial state. 
Alan Rogerson's team called from ABM, engineers. And there's this big, big drawing on the table. What are we going to do? How are we going to make this product? And suddenly Alan said, that Alpha Laval have got one in Copenhagen. And you can rent it, but you need to put £25,000 down before Heineken gets it. Half an hour later, <laughs> we did it. And we, <laughs> Fantastic. And Heineken, and Les says, that's probably the only decision and the best decision I've made, which was to get the rental unit. To find ways of doing what you need to do, the lowest possible cost. And the reason for getting the rental unit was it's a small unit. We still needed to fit it fit it in somewhere, but we made a decision to get it before Heineken did. If Heineken wanted it, there was a reason for it. Mm-hmm. We, got, yeah. we got the rental unit. And that is a true story. We made the decision and foolish, courageous look. That's how it happened. So then it was a case of going back to how do we going to make this work? Les knew it would work because he'd done some, um, some in-lab in desk work just in terms of some products and lots of research. So three years researching the method and how it would taste, how it might taste, all the protocols, all the dynamics of 0.05, sugar levels, PG levels, color levels. There's lots of things you need to understand about how to get your entrepreneurial smash product. Mm. Les was that person. Um, uh, with a little bit of luck from myself added in, into the equation. So we launched it. Uh, in 2018 on a trial basis and we had it on a month by month basis we, we paid a lot for the kit that was in Robinson's Brewery and that was again was a strategic decision because we could have found somebody a bigger player like Heineken or Molson Coors to have the machine but that would have meant they could have taken it over they could have done it themselves Robinson's are a fantastic traditional brewer and now a traditional brewer and a fabulous retailer. They've got some great pubs. Their focus, uh, close first focus is their retail, but they've still got classical traditional brewing uh, operation of cask and tank and, and keg beers and lagers. And it's for that reason they had no appetite to go into NOLO, but they had the protocol, the BRCC, the salsa, all the things you need to be to sell it abroad or sell it in supermarkets. So that's why... It's thinking about the relationships in the supply chain. So we had a test product at relatively low cost, but then we had to give it back. <laughs> we, we delayed and delayed, and Ian Forrester, the Alpha of Algar, was brilliant. He knew we were delaying it as much as we can, the rental unit. We had to buy our own. It was twice the size. And in the end, we bought it through through investment, through some, some good shareholders and, and some... Um, visionary people who supported us buying the big machine. Um, so in terms of answering your question is, have the ability to test it, try it on a, in a very small scale, know that you can scale up at different levels, think about the options if it doesn't work and what your exit strategy is at each stage, and keep giving samples to consumers. Is it work? Is it going to work? Why is it going to work? We sampled our, we tested our design three or four times. We're just about to change the design now doing 12 months of research it's going to be seen in america first but in america we're doing the first mixed four pack in the world it's got a beer lager and cider in a four pack nice because we, we bought a, a, a four pack cardboard packing line um and again that might role play out into the uk if the retailers see fit for that and they see an opportunity with consumers so it's about having a long-term plan 
I think we had that with, with, with Les's help in terms of three years of hard work and investment, finding the product that was going to make a difference. Understood, understand how that links into marketing, understands how that, that links into the supply chain. And then to cap it all off, I talked about uh, exit strategy and defense, if you like. The cost of entry is not easy. So I've been very fortunate having people around me who are great skills but financial backing at a small level, but enough uh, enough that uh, we can start the process, which is where we're at now. Still small scale, but we can start it to the point that the, the cost of entry is still sizable and would need a large company to come in and it would take them 18, 15, 18 months to replicate what we do if they came and saw the site. It would take them that time to get the machine, understand how to make the liquids. So that's how our defense, if you like, 18 months protection. So now we have to use that time to do what's next, what's next, what's next. Always thinking ahead so that the people who might copy what we do are still behind us. So you talked about your wonderfully supportive shareholders. Um, I noted, well, um, just from following your journey, um, you took some investment from Dragon's Den in 2018, I think. How was your experience? With, did you have your shareholders, initial shareholders before that time? Um, can you talk a little bit about your, just the, your experience with Dragon's Den, some of the motivations behind that, and then did that help you attract some bigger investment later on in 2020? Wow. Okay. So we, was, uh, we got a listing in Selfridges, small scale, Manchester store only. Uh, I, I pestered the Manchester buyer, a fantastic guy. He had the vision. He took us on a little no-low brand called Smash in the Selfridges, Manchester. And I was doing the sampling myself on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> and who, who rocked up but the PA to the program editor? And uh, I was busy tidying up clean. And this car just landed right in front of me and said, Ever thought about being on Dragon's Den? And I said, why would I want to do that? Because because you should be on it. I love your products. And I said, is it a long, pro- is it a long process? Oh, it takes about six months, but I think you could do that in three. But it is hard work. That's how it started. That's how it started. It was, I was sampling in Selfridges and the uh, PA to the, the program, thrust a card in front of me, and then started that, that process. It was tough really tough. It's not setting up a company in itself and having lots of auditors. They do a lot of due due diligence. Um, We're three and a half hours screening live. We got there at six, we were at six o'clock there (laughs) and we, and we were on at five at four o'clock. We came out at seven 30. I went and had a coffee at the tower (laughs) hotel because I was absolutely shattered. I didn't know whether it was one of those elation things about, wow, Sarah was the person that um, put her hand in her pocket. We didn't go with Sarah in the end, and Sarah didn't go with us in the end, because as Peter said, Peter really liked the idea what we were doing. I think he believed in us, but he knew it was a, a £2 million investment, not a £135,000 investment. Mm-hmm. It was a big investment job and a, a real long term. And some of the dragons got had appetites for it, some didn't. There's a great brand on called Impossible with Mark Wong. He was on last week and he was raved about in terms of his approach, in his persona. They didn't invest in him because it's too much of a risk. Everyone thinks that it's the big brands that will come through. 
I'm going to make sure it's not just the big brands that come through. I'm going to piggyback them, learn from them, and be, and be ahead of them in their thinking. Um, so Heineken can have their lager. Guinness can have their stouts. I'll have a range and more. So um, the, the Dragon's Den was a great experience of three and a half hours being filmed down into 14 minutes. I was absolutely exhausted. Um, I learned a lot from it because the opening 30 seconds started as three pages, and it needed, which was three and a half minutes. You had to go down to 30 seconds. That's how hard it was. When the doors slide open, I said to myself, what the am I doing here? Because the, door, <laughs> the doors don't open smoothly. It's almost like the doors open at uh, a, a, a slow pace. Give me time to turn your to change your mind and turn around. Um, so, but it was a great experience being questioned by experienced, successful business people. Um, and we did, we didn't take our and we didn't work with Sarah. Sarah didn't work with us. But it was all amicable. It was all about aspiration and objectives of both parties. In terms of, the, uh, so I had sh a shareholder before who's been an angel, um, who's been in at the start, who's been fantastic. Believes in me as a person. Um, I knew him at Hailwood. He's a customer at Hailwood. Um, so I've been very lucky that in terms of the the opportunity to get to this stage. We've achieved nothing yet. Nothing. We're, it's the we're, beginning. We're, it's at the start, and now comes the hard bit. Consumers matter. Consumers decide. With all the protocols there, the trademarks there, the products there, supply chain is there. I want the challenge now that I need another machine. To get to that point, consumers have to love us every every day, every week, again and again and again, and that's what we need to do. That's this is the hard work now. Let's and see if this works. So I, I've got a consumer. Um, I'm going to play the play his um, voicemail to me, and we can always take it out if we if, yeah, yeah. If, uh, if it doesn't work out. But <laughs> let me just play this. See if it works. Hang on a second. This is from Phil. This is a customer that um, we introduced to drinks through Flexi. Um, and I like we like to get feedback from the products that we list just to make sure that the products are what they say on the tin. So hopefully I've got the right section. Hang on a second. I think it's really good. Coming from a profession, ex-professional drinker, it actually does taste like the real thing. Not that I'm trying to sim simulate the real thing, but a lot of these alcohol-free things just actually have a horrible tang to them, as you know. And the cider ones have traditionally just tasted of apple appetizer. So there's nothing wrong with appetizer, but it's not really, a, it's quite sweet. So that actually, that side of one's bloody brilliant, mate. I would actually would be fooled by that. Okay, cheers. So, so, so with that in mind, we should, we, we should have, if you want to buy a case, this is the price. That's fine by me. We should do that. Yeah, fantastic. That's, that's great, great feedback. Yeah. Oh, it's good, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's the, like you said, the, the customer chooses at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? It's, um, It'll cost you two quid for an alcohol version. So, you know, why not just... At least. <laughs> yeah. And if you start with the real thing, then have to take care of the real thing in taking the alcohol out. That's it. That's that, it. And you that, pay a pound for, for the juice or the appetizer, but the fact you've gone, you're creating a real experience that tastes like the product, people, you've got, you got to expect to pay a little bit more for the, for the full experience. Just sort of one final question from me. Um, for our listeners out there who generally are sort of aspiring entrepreneurs what is one final piece of advice that you would sort of leave them um following your journey wow big question to finish <laughs> stay true to yourself stay true to yourself if you believe in it believe in it but no, but know why you believe in it 
be really clear why you believe in it. Not that it's nice to do. Um, believe in it and be true to yourself. And that helps if you've got a backstory. Yeah. You've got a, if you've got a relatable personal backstory, then great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. No, that's awesome. Well, Richard, um, thank you so much for joining us at RocketPod today. Um, James, I'm sure you agree that's been an awesome uh, conversation. Um, and for all of our listeners out there, definitely go check out Smashed. Um, we'll make sure to put some links in the description so you can go check out their products. Um, but Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really, I really enjoyed um, your tough questioning. I, w- I wouldn't like to go. I'd, I want, it's easier than news night, I'm sure. <laughs> and wh- where can Amazing. people find you, Richard? Uh, where can they find Smash Drinks and, and yourself? Sure. So you, you, you can find me in a, in a box. Uh, but in terms of the smash, the smashed uh, brand can be found on Drink Social, uh, online. Everything's available uh, nationally, and then Booths and Sainsbury's uh, is available, and also uh, a co-op in the Midlands. We've just got into there, so slowly but surely, we're extending our distribution, and obviously, we're working with Flexing, which is fabulous. It's a great place to be. Well, it's fantastic to have you on board. Well, thank you, Richard. Really appreciate your time. All the best. Right. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Rocket Pod. Richard Clark shared a lot of wisdom with us, a couple of key takeaways that I made a note of. Really, coming to the table with a backstory will help frame things. Surround yourself with people that have skills that you don't, so almost like recognize your blind spots. And also, the attitude towards your team members is really, really important if you're going to attract that loyalty and really achieve things to much bigger than yourself. Keep things really simple. That's really key. Uh, And also have a good look in the mirror and figure out what the authentic motivations are that drive the vision, that drive the business. Uh, Because, you know, it's going to be a long journey and this will help if you have the right foundation that will help you get through the tough times. Um, Also seek mentors. So mentors played a really key part in Richard's success. And again, a really great reminder that, you know, getting advice from the right people at the right time is really, really key. We'd love it when you get a moment, um, if you could leave a review um, on Apple Podcast and Spotify as well. I think you could actually leave a star rating there as well. Really helps us get exposure and keeps the stories and the interviews more relevant to what our listeners, you the listeners, uh, really want. Big shout out and thank you to our sponsor Flexi, uh, the single destination for unique subscriptions such as Smash Drinks. You can actually pick up ciders and non alcoholic beers on the Flexi web and app yeah so do your little bit to look after uh, these emerging brands that really need your support have an amazing week everyone and we'll see you next time take care